0: Welcome to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne.
1: Legendary chef Matthew Kenny is opening 10 new restaurants in the next 10 months. He's the world's most influential chef behind healthy plant-based dining with over 40 restaurants worldwide. He has authored 12 cookbooks, a best-selling memoir, and launched the Food Future Institute. Matthew Kenny is my guest coming up.
0: A voyage of discovery in an uncommon age of unparalleled scientific, economic, political, and social upheaval, life on planet Earth searches for the unvarnished truth, answers, solutions, and above all, hope for our existential crisis.
2: I should follow my own advice because sleeping. And diet and exercise are so important. But, you know, I'm just really, um, I'm really passionate, but I'm also very, you know, excited and grateful for the opportunity we have to to forge a new market, a new way of eating. So, no, I don't sleep too much right now, three or four hours, but I, I have to do better.
1: I will do better. You just heard a clip of my interview with Matthew Kenny coming up. Yes, he doesn't get a lot of sleep these days, as he builds his fast-growing and popular line of restaurants worldwide, serving amazing plant-based cuisine. The food critics love it. Matthew Kenny is doing it all during a global pandemic. He'll tell us how and why he has his eyes set on European expansion from his base in the U.S.
2: Yes, Dublin is is definitely up and coming with the culinary you know world and we expect to have a large focus on Europe in the next two or three years. We, we have our first team member who's based in the UK and she's been working on projects with us uh, in Europe and in the UK. So that's going to be a major area of focus for us over the next few years. So hopefully I'll see you in Dublin and, and give you some kind of amazing vegan potato
1: dish. Look, it's Grant to have you back. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne.
0: To protect her home and family in a disaster, Karen was willing to wade through water, mud, and insurance paperwork.
1: Matthew Kenny has been twice nominated as a rising star chef in America by the James Beard Foundation and has appeared on numerous food and talk shows. He regularly lectures on the subject of food and health, including two highly watched TED Talks. I've got to tell you, Matthew Kenny, my guest coming up, has raised my spirits as many businesses far and wide go under because of shutdowns and lockdowns and as bankruptcies surge. Matthew Kenny is forging ahead positively, building his restaurant business worldwide. His menu is plant-based, vegan, you might say. While I'm not a vegan, my tastes range from steak and rich buttered, Soaked potatoes and steak to Italian with plenty of desserts, especially my good wife Margaret's famous apple pie. I will eat a delicious vegan dish any day, especially a dish presented by Matthew Kenny. You're going to love this show. Here's a startling wee stat nearly one in six restaurants accounting for 100,000 individual units in the US are now closed permanently or long term, according to a recent National Restaurant Association report. That means some 3 million employees are still out of work. Lost sales this year could hit as much as 240 billion. Those stats folks are for the first six months following the first shutdown of restaurants in America for the coronavirus pandemic. It's just horrible. Can't we do something for this beleaguered sector? I'm sick to my stomach. Matthew Kenny has 40 restaurants worldwide and is now embarked on 10 new restaurants over 10 months. If you are curious how we can expand amidst the pandemic, so was I. When I was first told you planned to open 10 new restaurants in the next 10 months, with the pandemic still with us, I said to myself, you got to be kidding. I mean, how can you pull this off with so many lockdowns, random lockdowns across the globe?
2: Well, there are a few factors you know, first, most of the new openings we're doing in uh, warmer climates. So we have, um, and we always have traditionally looked for restaurant spaces that have extensive outdoor seating areas. Some of them are predominantly outside, uh, even though I, I love architecture and design. So that's very helpful. And we are, um, you know, we're fortunate to, to have outdoor seating and, and delivery and so forth. But it's, of course, a challenge. And at the same time, you know, we have, for example here in los angeles although we don't have tourism and the offices are pretty much empty the local uh, guests who typically come to our restaurant are not traveling because we can't travel so they're tending to come on a more regular basis and order at home on a more regular basis certainly not the exact same market but there are you know there are adjustments that uh allow us to make it work even during you know these
1: kind of challenging times So have the adjustments been difficult on you? How has it affected the business model?
2: The changes that keep happening are what's difficult. For example, in Chicago, we reopened our restaurant Althea a couple of weeks ago after being closed for six months. And six days later, um, the city shut down indoor dining again. So that's really hard because for me, it's not that difficult, but it's very hard for our team who works to replenish inventory and to train new team members that, you know, some people left during the six months shutdown and get reopened and focus on all the marketing and so forth. And then six days later have to close again, and then they're, you know, furloughed again. So those kind of changes are difficult. I mean, we're, we're a relatively a versatile company. We're used to operating, you know, through education and using uh, technology, however we can and so forth. So. Probably it's a little easier for us than it would be for some people, but no question 2020 has been a constant slew of surprises and challenges.
1: Depending on the location, you have to go along with local mandates and ordinances. So presumably some of that is outdoor dining and then there's quotas for the amount of diners who can dine inside.
2: Correct, and it's different in every city. For example, in Los Angeles, we have zero percent allowed inside. San Francisco is twenty-five. New York's twenty-five. Chicago was forty. I think in Providence, Rhode Island, we're fifty. You know, Florida is something else. So, it really requires a lot of attention to uh, you know to make people feel safe and, of course, follow the restrictions.
1: What do you think of the random nature of the lockdowns around the U.S.? Look, I think I think that. Uh,
2: If we had taken a more decisive action in the beginning, um, it would have been a lot easier and maybe it could have been more coordinated. Although the way our government is set up, it leaves a lot of decision-making to the, you know, state and local governments. So I don't always agree with it. Um, but you know, of course, the one thing I think we all agree with is keeping people safe and our team, our employees, our guests and you know, so forth. So. I'm not in love with it, but you know, it's the world we're living in and we have to work with it and find new avenues to serve our guests, whether it be through delivery or through education or any other program. So we just have to work with it for now.
1: Now, you sound like one of the success stories, if you could call it, that during the pandemic, there are so many restaurants and diners and hotels, even the airline industry as well, who have gone through very difficult times and many are on the verge of bankruptcy.
2: Yes, it's been a tough time for the industry. I mean, you know, there have been some some government support programs and certain landlords and developers are offering concessions to tenants. But... I was just reading an article a few minutes ago about one of, you know, a restaurant I used to go to all the time in New York that announced that they were closing and it's coming every day. And that's very sad because of all the work and time and and capital that goes into opening a restaurant and people losing their jobs. And of course, at the same time, the um, level of openings has slowed down markedly. So opening during this time and giving people something new to appreciate and try has its advantages as bizarre as that might seem.
1: Tell us about the 10 restaurants you're planning. Was this planned prior to the pandemic or did it just come up during the pandemic? What was the background here?
2: It's a combination of both. We we had a number of restaurants. We had a very heavy schedule of openings uh, that was slated for spring or April and May. Uh, I think five or six restaurants, San Francisco and New York, and Palm Beach and... Los Angeles. And of course, when the shutdown happened, we were not even able to do construction. So those were delayed. So some of the openings are openings that we had planned anyway. And in addition to that, we have found that there's a lot of opportunity in this market in terms of real estate and uh, turnkey restaurants that can be renovated and reconcepted. So it's, um, it's a mixture. But seems like we've been having an opening, you know, every couple of weeks at this point.
1: How do you manage 40 restaurants? That's a big undertaking. You're a private company.
2: We're a private company. We have a modest size uh, leadership team of about 20 people. You know, I think that we've just uh, I started doing plant-based almost 20 years ago. I was really passionate about it. I still am. And we were able to create a fabric of style that, you know, our team employees and, and builds upon. So the, the style of cuisine that we do is really very, um, very structured and, and, you know, they're just, it's hard to put into words, but we, we have our, our brand and we have a very solid uh, team on pretty much every level. We have a number of chefs in our innovation kitchen. So they oversee the development of all the recipes and menus and content that goes into each new concept. And they work together in a, in a test kitchen here in LA. And they also, when we do a new opening, some of that team will focus on training the team at the local restaurant and be there to support them. So there's a, you know, very fluid process of making sure that what we're creating actually makes its way into the restaurant, into the table and to our guests. But we also do a lot of things in house. We have um, our own creative director, marketing director, content creator. And so we're able to do things relatively quickly because we don't rely on very many outside services. We don't work with that often with branding companies, for example, or design companies, we do all our own web development. So it's very internal. We're really tight knit group that communicates all day long and we work really hard and pretty much everybody on the team is working at some point seven days a week and um. We're probably even more committed now during during COVID because we want to make sure that we keep everything stable and, and put out our best efforts in these tough times.
1: You've got lavish praise from food critics. So you describe yourself as plant-based dining experience. Is that the same as vegetarian or interchangeable?
2: It's the same as vegan. Um, I started using the term plant-based probably a dozen years ago because I felt like there was a stigma against the word vegan. And it was a little bit, uh, it sounded a little bit harsh. And the other, you know, second reason for that is because it is possible to consume a vegan diet and not really eat that healthy, like Oreo cookies, for example, are vegan and a lot of marshmallows and so forth. And really wanted this to be focused on plants, fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, sprouted grains, and to really uh, highlight unprocessed cuisine, I'm sorry, unprocessed ingredients. So we started calling it plant-based many years ago. Now it's a very common term. And we actually hope to eclipse that eventually to the point where we're not having to identify this food as vegan or plant-based. If we're opening an Italian restaurant, it's an Italian restaurant. And our position is we can create amazing Italian food you know using plants so we're not even our newest restaurant sestino which is a pasta based concept it doesn't have plant-based or vegan in the uh, in the name or the tagline or the signage at all whatsoever so that's where we hope to to go with it eventually but it's been a process of educating the public to consider this as a competitive legitimate cuisine
1: you have locations all over the world including new york los angeles europe and so forth and latin america
2: yes um we have um, a project in Brazil, different different licensing partnerships. We are in Brazil, uh, Colombia, Mexico, Argentina, and Costa Rica.
1: How do you enter those markets? Do you create partnerships or do you go in as the sole owner? Anything international is always
2: a partnership. It's typically a mission-aligned uh, individual or hotel or a company that really wants to bring innovative plant-based cuisine to their city or country and you know once we identify that fact that we're all on the same page that we have the same goals and the same beliefs then we you know enter into a partnership where we provide creative development and, and know-how and experience and support and marketing support to help design build open and typically our partners in these countries are the operators
1: how will listeners know how to identify one of your operations? It's not under Matthew Kenny's name, because there are different names I see here for your different locations.
2: We don't necessarily over-brand ourselves. I mean, most of our partnerships will say, for example, Out" by Matthew Kenny. Um, but we, you know, we have a, a good web presence. It's uh, We spend a lot of time on our website and our social media and, and ensure that all of our companies are, you know, referencing that they're, you know, affiliated with Matthew Henning Cuisine. So we're not super commercial that way. We don't like to overdo it. We really want each location to stand on its own. But for the most part, we, you know, we make sure that the attachment is pretty clear
1: vegan diets vegetarian diets plant based dining is a growing part of the market so you're on the cusp of something very big here it seems
2: it's been a it's been a long journey when i started on this plant based and vegan was not mainstream and i i really believe that it would become the most fashionable way to eat, not just because it's healthy, but because it's delicious. And as a chef, that's what I care about, creating you know, great food that's beautiful and,
1: and flavorful.
2: And I really believed wholly that this was the most exciting way to eat. But of course, these days, there are so many other things that we need to think about in terms of our immunity and the environment and the impact of food choices on on the planet so there are a lot of reasons that you know it's going in the right direction now but a big part of that is because chefs are really learning how to make plant-based food exciting and and flavorful and it's become you know a normal way to uh experience dinner or lunch or you know just a lifestyle
1: do you adapt to local tastes do you integrate local plants native to a region for example? If you were back in my native Ireland, would potatoes be a large part of your plant-based menu?
2: Every concept is different. We have we have you know twenty different concepts, and of course they're they they run the gamut. Um, we just opened a new restaurant in New York called Sudra, which is mostly raw food, very clean, fresh, healthy cuisine. But this weekend on Sunday, I, I made a, an Indian-based. Um, Seven course meal and I used a lot of potatoes actually. So actually, three of the dishes that I made uh, utilized potatoes. So I love potatoes. Really Maine. You're making
1: me. You're making me feel happy. I think I, I. I believe you're from Maine originally, right? Correct. Yeah, that's a big potato country. Yes, Rusk County,
2: big. But
1: what about price points? Sounds that it could be a little or slightly on the high end compared to other dining experiences because it's exclusively. Plant-based cooking, and then you have to source all the ingredients.
2: Well, we have we have um, addressed all ends of the spectrum. We have fast casual concepts. We have a a fast casual uh, concept that is called Humble in Orlando, and it largely, you know, consists of four minutes, basically like McDonald's. You order, but it happens to be plant-based and unprocessed. And on the other, next, you know, end of the spectrum, we have uh, tasting menu only restaurants where the check average may be seventy-five or eighty dollars. We're doing a uh, plant-based drive through, and we have a convenience store and a food hall and a couple of takeout stores. So we're um we're trying to make it accessible and at the same time we want to make it fashionable and show the potential of plant based food. So we're we're really like on the low end, high end and in the middle as well.
1: You're a graduate of the French Culinary Institute and you are named one of America's best new chefs by Food and Wine magazine. You've authored 12 cookbooks, a best-selling memoir, and you launched the Food Future Institute. Do you ever get time to sleep?
2: You know, I should follow my own advice because sleep and and diet and exercise are so important. But, you know, I'm just really... um, I'm really passionate, but I'm also very, you know, excited and grateful for the opportunity we have to to forge a new market, a new way of eating. So no, I don't sleep too much right now, three or four hours, but I, I have to do better. I will do better.
1: Well, you get a lot of energy from your work, clearly, which you enjoy tremendously. Where is your base of your opera? Where do you live most of the time? Although... Sounds like you're traveling quite a bit.
2: I was. I was traveling about fifty percent of the time. And I didn't think it was necessary and, and I, I live in Venice, California. Um so traveling was a, a really big part of my life for the last few years. And while I like it and I love meeting international partners and seeing the world, it's hard, it's hard on the body and it's not always the most productive. And so these days we're um, The first thing we did when COVID happened is we launched Food Future Institute, our online culinary institute, and I want to use that technology to provide training and support to our regional partners, international partners, and so forth. So it's not necessary to be on a plane all the time. So I would say that's one silver lining we found during this to to become more efficient and, and travel selectively when it's really necessary as opposed to being on a plane all the time. That's not what I aspire to. So... I've been kind of happy to be home for the last eight, eight or nine months, for the most part.
1: For our listeners, can you give us some of the names of your restaurants around the world if they want to pop in? Well, here in LA, which
2: is one of our bases, we have Plant Food and Wine, which is our flagship, and Double Zero, which is a, a pizza concept nearby. New Delhi is a convenience store, and Make Out is our oldest restu- uh, oldest business. It's a takeout, takeout, casual dining area uh, Hungry Angelina and we have a partnership with Margeray, which is the French, um, patisserie. And that is, uh, in Beverly Hills and San Francisco, we have Vaya and Chicago, uh, Althea, which is in Saks Fifth Avenue. And then in New York, we have another Double Zero and Sestina, our pasta concept, which is also opening here in LA next week. We have Sutra, which is our our plant-based vegan restaurant and, um, and several more concepts opening in New York and um, Humble in Florida and, and Plant Made in Brazil, Makeup in Colombia, Casa Planta in Costa Rica. We're opening Avi Bar in Mexico and uh, um, sometimes hard to remember them
1: <laughs> all. <laughs> uh, There's so many. It, it, it's, it's extraordinary. And you've won a month over 10 months. That's amazing. We'll be right back after this sweet break. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne.
0: I asked what kind of family she wanted. She said, a family like yours. Learn more about adopting a teen at adoptuskids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council.
1: Well, it's grand to have you back. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne. Before we pick up my interview with my guest, the legendary chef Matthew Kenny. Take a listen to my other interview with the well-known Irish-American businessman Hugh O'Lunny, who was forced earlier this year to shutter his popular O'Lunny's on West 45th Street in Times Square because of the COVID-19 shutdowns. I recorded this recently. His story is repeated all over New York and it is a distressing legacy of this pandemic
2: we in the heart of Times Square and paying $91,666 a month rent. The government offered a subsidy. They would pay 25% towards the rent, but which would mean I would have to pay 75% or uh, 100% to the landlords. I'm taking the position, uh, John, that I- I'm not paying rent because the government uh, shut me down, uh, not because of how I was operating, but because of the coronavirus. Now, so I went to the space to run a restaurant and bar. I can't do that because of the government. I have no income because of the government. So um, the space is not available for me to use as an income uh, base at
1: the moment. That was Irish American businessman Hugh O'Lunny on his experience with the pandemic on his famous bar and restaurant in New York City. I asked famed chef and our guest, Matthew Kenny about where he sees the dining sector headed after we come out of this terrible pandemic. You have very deep insight to the industry. I'm wondering, where do you see it after we come out of the pandemic and the lockdowns? Will it be radically altered? There'll obviously be survivors, but there'll be a lot of losers. How do you see it shaking out? I
2: think that... On the casual end, we're opening two different drive through concepts. I think drive through dining, pickup and takeout and delivery is going to be very big for the next couple of years. And I think more upscale dining will be slightly geared towards special occasions, probably a little bit less volume, I and mean, we're going to have to learn to operate with smaller teams and slightly smaller menus and maybe limited hours, but I think, you know, the idea of going out to dinner, it's one of the most enjoyable things. And it's, you know, whether it's a business dinner or a family gathering or celebration or somebody going on a date for the first time, I mean, restaurants are a foundation of our, our society. So I think that the industry is certainly altered and it's going to be a little bit challenging, but it still is going to be a major
1: part of our society. Presumably you yourself are vegan. Yes, I have
2: been for uh, most of 18 years.
1: And what made you turn vegan? Was it a healthy lifestyle choice? It was a number of factors.
2: I started eating healthy when I was in high school. And bear in mind, this was in the early 80s, vegan wasn't considered healthy. It was, you know, a different type of way of eating less butter, less sugar and so forth. But over the years, as I paid more and more attention to, um, to my diet and what I, what I really loved about food, it was gravitating toward vegetarian and plants. And then I got into yoga and meditation and started to make a, a much deeper connection to the planet and you know, really respect the relationship between food choices and, and how that impacts not just health, but animal welfare and and the well-being of the environment and so forth. And it just made perfect sense. It was the most aligned way of of eating and cooking. And so after a few years of slowly gravitating toward a plant-based vegan diet, I just one day said this is my future.
1: Of course, you weren't always headed in that direction. You were studying law at one point. Well, I went to college,
2: uh, graduated from college, studying, you know, basically a pre-law direction, um, pre-law program. And I moved to New York thinking that I would go to law school. But once in New York, I fell in love with the restaurant scene because that's where all the energy was. And that's where I wanted to be in, involved. And it, it was creative and dynamic and and really you know, diverse. So I pretty quickly changed my mind once I moved to New York.
1: You touched upon something very interesting, and it should be stressed, the social aspect of dining and going to the restaurant. It's not just about food, it's about an experience. And that's one of the great things Americans and diners and consumers and people worldwide miss during the lockdowns. The ability to step into a room and meet others, your neighbors, or make new friends. And that in itself has terrible psychological impact and it causes its own harm. Uh, Do you hear a lot about that?
2: I mean, from extroverts, especially. Yeah, I'm an introvert. I'm, you know, perfectly capable of daydreaming and thinking (laughs) and writing and creating and at the same time, I really get a lot of joy out of seeing my friends, but I, I don't suffer uh, if we have to go for a period of time without socializing. However, my friends who are social, I think, have a very hard time, and it's um, you know, it's it's one of the reasons we started our online culinary academy and, and created a, a um, community basically where they can see each other's work and communicate with each other because we need to we need human communication. And uh, ideally in, in person but at least in the meantime while we're waiting for things to settle down in the world we can we do have a lot of alternatives at least
1: yes exactly and we've seen that various social media coming to the fore and people doing zoom calls and watching more netflix and so on and maybe playing old-fashioned board games so you touched upon something there at sorrow it sounds like you also look on your cooking and culinary skills as a creative pursuit you like creating
2: uh yes absolutely i mean we're as a as a company we are never really interested in copying we don't look at other plant-based restaurants for inspiration we look at we might look at art or music or you know could be a, a photograph i mean we get our inspiration from all different places and and try to emulate that um, that experience, you know, that feeling you get from some kind of experience through food.
1: And you create your own dishes as well as incorporate dishes that are already out there. We do, yes.
2: Our, our You know, we have what's probably the largest, uh, it's not a huge team, but several extremely talented Michelin trained chefs that run our innovation kitchen. And that's all they do. I mean, they, not all they do because it's incredible work that they do, but they just create and forge a new path for plant-based food in the world.
1: For somebody new to your restaurants and they want to sit in and order off your menu or take out, as an introduction, what would you recommend for them to get used to this new kind of cuisine if they're not already vegans any dishes you would suggest from your menu
2: i mean and one thing i think we've gotten pretty good at is is finding that bridge to make sure that every restaurant we open every concept we open has a selection of dishes that are really comfortable for people so they don't have to feel like they're compromising or you know going out on a limb to try something they may not like so you know that's why we focus on Of course i love gourmet very fancy you know vegetable based dishes that you've never seen anywhere else but at the same time we have burgers and pizza and pasta and macaroni and cheese and all the things that people like gravitate to we just don't use animal products when creating them but we think they're comparable and and better and um and makes people feel you know makes guests
1: feel comfortable so desserts wine and coffee also yeah that's been a very
2: important thing for me first of all i love wine and the first uh, vegan restaurant I was ever involved in was called Pure Food and Wine. And we have plant food and wine here in LA and it was always really important for me to make sure that our guests don't don't feel like they have to compromise their experience or their enjoyment just because they're consuming a plant-based diet. So it's a very important part of what we do. Dessert's important, coffee's important, but you know, we happen to use organic free-trade coffee and biodynamic, uh, sustainable wine labels that are, you know, small batch allocated wines and so forth. But yeah, we put a lot of energy into sourcing them, but we still want everybody to, you know, have the same experience they would have with any, you know, with any other type of cuisine.
1: Well, fair play to you. You're certainly an optimist. You're very successful. You're maybe a little bit of an outlier opening 10 new restaurants in 10 months I congratulate you I think that's the way to go so where are we at on those 10 what's the next one up and many more after that Uh, the next
2: opening is Sestina it's a pasta based concept opening in Culver City LA and after that uh, I think we're opening Hungry Angelina in New York City it's a more of a global large format dining uh, restaurant in Dumbo and Air, which is uh, a y o d. It's an Ayurvedic-inspired restaurant in um, Palm Beach, Florida. Um, looking forward to that. And we have a couple of restaurants opening in Baltimore. Uh, another double zero, which is our pizza concept, then a new concept called the Aura, which will be uh, kind of like plant food and wine, but but have its own influences from the local Maryland cuisine. And then a couple of restaurants in Philadelphia. One is Japanese, and the other is Sestina. Our two drive-throughs, which is um, one is unnamed in uh, Costa Mesa, California, and the other one's Plant City X in Rhode Island. I'm probably forgetting a few, but those are the ones that come to mind.
1: I can't help asking: Do you have any over in Ireland yet? Where I'm from originally, I live in the United States. I'm a proud U.S. citizen but also an Irish citizen. So I gotta ask you that question. You know, we don't, although... Dublin would be a great location.
2: Yes, Dublin is, is definitely up and coming with the culinary you know, world. And we, um, we expect to have a large focus on Europe in the next two or three years. We, we have our first team member who's based in the UK. And she's been working on projects with us uh, in Europe and in the UK. So that's going to be a major area of focus for us over the next few years. So hopefully I'll see you in Dublin and, and give you some kind of amazing vegan potato dish.
1: Yeah, I would love that, Matthew Well, I'm recording this from the New York area As we speak And I look forward to going vegan At least for an evening And anytime I'm passing Your beautiful restaurants and locations And we'll get to meet in person It's been a pleasure talking to you And again, congratulations A great journey I look forward to reading about you And hearing about you again in the future
2: Thank you so much And appreciate everything you're doing To share the, uh, you know passionate work people are doing with the world. So good luck with
0: that. You've been listening to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. To reach the host or learn about advertising or sponsorship opportunities, call 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. That's 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com.